So, John, if you could win a lover's heart and your dad's respect with any single sport, which sport would it be? I think I'm going to have to go with my default answer for this, which is always dressage. <laughs> dressage? <laughs> yeah. It's not a million miles away from jousting, really. Just a bit. No, I suppose. I suppose. Big yeah. camper, yeah. Pretty good. Welcome everybody to Beyond the Box Set, the podcast where we pitch prequels, sequels and spin-offs to films that don't have any. I'm Harry, joining me as always is John. Hello. And we have another guest on this week. Yes, another one. Yes, another one. Uh, we have the fantastic Jason Croxon from A Conversation With. Hello. I tried to do my best John hello there. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realise there was a John hello. <laughs> now, now you do, and now you'll never not be able to notice it yep. whenever you do it. <laughs> Well, let's just jump right in. Jace, what have you brought to us and why have you chosen well, it? Well, what I've brought is A Knight's Tale from 2001, 2002, around that era with the uh, late Heath Ledger. Well, yeah, and, and I quite like the uh, the idea of the challenge. The majority of the cast you can bring back, no problem, because it's not that old a film, but you've kind of lost the main player. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how you get around that with your sequel ideas. Yeah, like sometimes it could be really fun to do recasting. Like I really enjoyed our, our Labyrinth episode. Mm-hmm. That one was just a lot of recasting of David Bowie and that worked out really well. So hopefully we can do the same magic yeah. uh, today. It's great when people die young. It really <laughs> makes things fun for us. <laughs> <laughs> and so, without further gilding the lily, and with no more ado, I give to you the seeker of serenity, the protector of Italian virginity, the enforcer of our Lord God, the one, the only, Sir Ulrich von Lichtenstein! <laughs> Thank you! Thank you, I'll be here all week! What struck me about this film is it's just very... It's very good-natured. Everyone seems like they're having a good time. Mm, yeah. Everybody's having great fun and they're just enjoying everything. And also, everybody's brilliant in this. Yeah. Of the main cast. They're mm-hmm. all just playing their parts really well and each character is fleshed out enough, I think. Yeah, there's no weak link for me in the cast. Everyone no. is. Even the mine, the smaller characters. And in fact, some of the smallest characters are some of my favourite characters because one thing, I was going to get to this in the drinking games, but one thing I noticed about this is this film is full of people making strong acting choices. Mm. There's lots of background extras and one-line characters just chewing the scenery in the best way. It's, it's like everyone in this movie got what it was straight away. Mm-hmm. Like nobody thinks they're in a piece of high art. Everyone's just like, this is silly fun. Yeah. And they're just going to proceed to chew scenery. Uh, I really liked how they kind of they set a mood with these big title cards at the start and like in the medieval times there was this one sport that was greater than all the rest played by only the best men in the world or whatever. And then... You know, it's just setting off this whole big medieval film. And it's like, oh, God. And then suddenly Queen comes in. And then everybody is just singing Queen, like, on screen. It's not... It's just weird. But at, at that point, it's, it takes it takes a very good turn. Mm. And that's the point where it sets out the mood for the film, which brings me on to the next bit, the soundtrack. What do you both think of the soundtrack? Um, yeah, I, I like it. Actually, I, I think it, the soundtrack, together with elements of the film they do that thing of kind of setting it in the past but also having very modern tropes 
but it kind of works because that's one of the things that in especially in recent years whenever they've sort of done a a medieval film and try to kind of make it with a modern day twist it's quite cringeworthy it's usually just wrong in both ways i'm thinking i didn't even see the movie i'm thinking of the um the recent like king arthur movie that people just sort of didn't enjoy very much for that i saw all the trailers for it and it looks just so boring and plain it's like a film with no soul and this is the opposite yeah i i'm not a huge music guy anyway so yeah but i i do enjoy it they're fun songs it it, it sets the scene you know it's not that the music playing makes you feel oh well this is going to be a, a very deep serious uh, scene here it's all light and fun and, and kind of just keeps keeps the ride going doesn't it yeah, I, f- I really liked it too because I felt like the use of the modern pop song, let's say Queen and David Bowie kind of stuff, it's like it instantly tells you what kind of film it's going to be because, you know, as, as Harry says, it opens with this kind of medieval, oldie-worldie vibe. You just think maybe this is going to be like a serious film. And then as soon as the entire auditorium just starts clapping along to We Were Rock Here, it's like, okay, I get what this is doing now. This this film is, isn't concerned with historical accuracy whatsoever. The film did make a bad choice with music at one point. What point would that be? Um, I don't know how much of the credits each of you watched. Oh, yeah, when Robbie Williams covered We Are The Champions. That was just horrible. (laughs) Why would they do that? Because they have the rights to the Queen song because they used other Queen songs in the Mm. film. I guess maybe they thought it'd be a hit. Maybe. Maybe just attach a big star at the time to it. But yeah, yeah. at least they've got it out of the way in the end credit. It didn't intrude on the film anyway. Yeah. yeah. I'm if you'd made a cameo or something. Because it seems like the kind of film that could have done that. Yeah, yeah, it could have quite easily had cameos. It wouldn't have been too bad if it was just... If it was just him getting knocked off a horse, we'd been quite enjoyable. Well, yeah, that would, yeah. But he, <laughs> it wouldn't be that, though. He'd be like some prince from another country who's over staying in the royal box. Sure, yeah. Um, like, it'd be awful. Because <laughs> <laughs> one thing that struck me about this film as well, is that the music was a big part of, was that it really does play kind of fast and loose with history and geography and mm-hmm. accents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what accent was Heath Ledger trying for, do you think, in this film? English. I couldn't place it. Like, he wasn't doing his full Australia, but I didn't feel like he was doing any kind of recognisable English accent either. No, I think he was just doing a broad English. Because the majority of, until the end, the majority of the movie takes place in France. And yet, I was about to say nobody speaks with a French accent, but then I remembered <laughs> there is one glaring exception to that rule. Yes, there's the, the, the argument in the pub. <laughs> the amazing extras in the pub. Were a prime example of extras just seizing the moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those accents were hysterical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Englishman will not win this French tournament. English legs are unsteady on French soil. Yes, and because French wine is too much for English bellies. <laughs> All right, I'm about this phone close, mate. I swear to God, what's in my I'll tell you who did a great accent in this film, though. Mm. Alan Tudyk. His yeah. English accent was amazing. Yeah, yeah. So good and so specific. He's a good actor. He was a real highlight of the film for me anyway. Like, mm-hmm. Of the many, many highlights, he was definitely right up there. Mm-hmm. So should we do a bit of a plot summary? Oh, sure. Um, absolutely, yeah. Jason, do you want to do it? Oh, really? <laughs> hey, it's your film. Here I thought I was just coming on to sit in the background and just chime in now and again with a whimsical comment here and there. And I find I'm... I'm no, I'm... you're the star of the show. Oh, right. So it starts with them all as, as squires to... A knight whose name I didn't write down because I didn't think I was going to need it. But basically, he's dead. Mm-hmm, very quickly. And they find themselves in a situation where they're going to have to forfeit. They're not going to eat. Life's pretty tough, we understand. So William takes the armour and rides in his place and uh, survives, we could say, the first 
What's it actually called? Joust. That's right, right? Jousting. Well, jousting is the sport. The so when you do a, you do a joust, a ride, I don't know what you'd call it. So basically, that goes okay. They get enough money to go home. But instead of uh, going home, he decides, you know what? It's worked once. Why not do it again? And decides to pretend to be a knight to go around winning competitions so that they can live a life of somewhat luxury in comparison to what they had. Mm-hmm. Well, they said they hadn't eaten in like three days. Yeah. So. I was confused by the time scale of this early part of the film because mm-hmm. it opens with this corpse. Like, it literally opens on the dead knight. Yeah. He died The of... dead knight, that's, a, that's the bad Batman film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some horrible tabloid ran that headline at the time, I'm sure. Oh, but uh, The Inquirer or something. <laughs> yeah, so he, he's dead, and we presume he's died of jousting-related injuries? No idea. Like, we don't see an injury like no. it. Someone says he shot himself to death, but... <laughs> <laughs> what a way to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, it, so they're talking about it, and it seems like he's been dead for a while because there's like flies buzzing around him. I know they're just yeah, trying to figure and, it out. And like, he, he smells, apparently. Yeah. Quite bad. Oh, maybe that's just from... He's, he's maybe maybe he did infect himself to death. Yeah. But yeah, the fact there's flies there already and like he's literally just done two droughts and yeah. he's about to do the third. Yeah, it's like... Which he, I imagine all happening quite quick succession. Yeah. It's like he took a little interval, just wandered off for a minute, dropped down dead. Mm-hmm rapidly decomposed i mean it is hot he's wearing armor so maybe that just kind of heats you up and you can decompose slightly faster i don't know that's my head cannon for that scene. i don't think you decompose that fast <laughs> maybe he wasn't even dead maybe he wasn't dead yeah <laughs> the sequel him getting his revenge hey you stole my name you stole my glory he's dead what do you mean dead? the spark of his life is smothered in shite his spirit is gone, but his stench remains. Does that answer your question? Uh, so yeah, Heath Ledger, who plays his squire, uh, William, right? He assumes his identity and he wins that first jousting tournament. Quick pause. Can we talk about the hair of everybody? The hair situation in this film, yeah. Because <laughs> Heath Ledger at the start, like, there's a lot going on there. At the start of the film, Heath Ledger looks like someone who's going to try and sell you a dodgy pill at a festival. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he's got these, like, ratty white boy braids mm-hmm. and, like, very, very messy. He's got that the, the hilarious stick on beard. <laughs> the beard looked awful. <laughs> but then when he takes the identity of the jousted, though, and then there's the first of many, many montages, and we got a good, good old training montage, which mm-hmm. is always a good time. Mm-hmm. And somewhere in, be- in the course of that montage, he gets a real sexy makeover. Yeah. He gets a really nice haircut. He's clean shaven. Like Yeah, like if he could do that before, why has he not always been yeah. clean shaven and somewhat shorter hair? <laughs> yeah. Like, what's, what salon are they going to in, like, medieval France? Like, just, like, it's a real professional job. Like, mm-hmm. the amount of volumizing moose that's uh, going around it again in, in medieval France in this film, like, there's definitely some good hair in this film. Mm-hmm. It's a very hair-friendly film. Yeah. So I guess they go along on their on their travels, and here's where they bump into a certain nudist. Yes, they do. We get naked Paul Bettany. Yeah. As Geoffrey Chaucer. Yeah. The bane of all high school English students, Geoffrey Chaucer. <laughs> um, again, I love how Paul Bettany was just full on into this role. He was maybe my favourite part of the film. He was yeah. def- Possibly. definitely, Possibly. I think, the, the best character in the film. He never held back. So they pick him up, yeah, because it's Heath Ledger and he's got his two like friends who are played by Alan Tudyk and Mark Addy, who we haven't mentioned, a.k.a. Robert Baratheon from Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. among other things. So they're this trio and then they pick up Paul Bettany, who was just wandering naked down the streets. We find out later he's lost all his possessions because he has a massive gambling problem. Because he's a writer, he, he's able to forge some letters of nobility because only knights of noble birth can joust. And mm. because 
William Heath Ledger is but a lowly Thatcher's son. Mm-hmm. I was wondering what how, how they got the material together to forge these documents. Because mm. they looked fancy. Yeah. And he clearly didn't have a scroll on him. No. <laughs> where would he keep it? Maybe the dead knight had it, hasn't he? <laughs> or maybe, yeah, maybe it was up his bum. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> May I present my Lord Ulrich, whose mother's father was Schillard von Reckberg, son of the Duke Gelf of Saxony, son of Ghibelline, son of Vendish, the fourth Earl of Brunswick, the same Vendish who inherited the Fife of Lundberg That'll from... do, Harold. Six generations is more than enough. Show me the patents. He kind of forges these documents so that Heath Ledger can continue to pass as a noble knight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he kind of just becomes this medieval hype man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he yeah, introduces was... him in all the... All the jousts. weird. <laughs> do, do jousters need hype men? In fact, well, it works. I think it's part of how he builds up the mythos around Heath Ledger's character, who's mm. now called Sir Ulrich von Lichtenstein. Yeah, what a great <laughs> name. Well, how do they think of that? It's the kind of name it that sounds like the name you would get for like a German villain. If like a British sitcom from the 70s, mm-hmm. if there was a German... Or, or an Oscar Wilde play or something, if there's like a German villain like mm-hmm. twiddling the moustache. Ulrich von Lichtenstein. It doesn't match him at all. Well, I was going to say, because then he says he's from Gelderland, which apparently is in, in Norway somewhere, I think, or Netherlands, is it the Netherlands? But I, I don't know if they were actually aware of that when they, A, made the film, and B, there's no way they were aware of that in that world, let's say. I suppose you couldn't pick somewhere in England, because you'd be known. Yeah, it needs to be somewhere obscure, so mm. no one can say, hey, that's not true. Yeah, but I mean, he's when, when he goes to London at the end of the film, the crowd's absolutely love him mm. like they love him and it's like why are they cheering do they think he's English is he English like he speaks in the English accent I mean everyone speaks English in this film mm-hmm. but um, I'd love to see Heath Ledger as an Australian doing an English person pretending to do like a German accent or yes something. <laughs> the layers upon layers would be great, yeah. <laughs> so he starts um, he trains up and becomes quite a good jouster he starts winning tournaments because mm-hmm. uh, he's got the, the heart of a tiger or the heart of a lion or something mm-hmm. he's very brave and he's got he's very strong well he doesn't win the first tournament that he goes to does he because we meet Adamir is it oh our the villain end, yeah. yeah our villain our antagonist mm. who he's a terrible guy like he's just the worst He's so terrible that you you really don't like him, but you're obviously not supposed to like him. But the kind of that first interaction he has, well, a with um, is it Gwendolyn? The, oh man, I've forgotten her name. Jocelyn, the love interest. Yeah. So first the little interaction he has with her, but then when you know when William comes over, and there's sort of the three of them, and he's just roasting him. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> <just> unpleasant <laughs> to watch. Mm-hmm. I like how he's he was just such a such a simple bad guy. He was such a he's cartoon. Like, Look, I, I, I'm I'm a villain. My hair is dark. My horse is black. <laughs> like all my armor is very dark. I, I, I'm a count. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was really leaning into the villainy. Yes, yeah. he, he didn't think he was a good guy. No, <laughs> all he needed was a mustache to twiddle. That's yeah, anything he was lacking. <laughs> there is actually one bit at that tournament that annoys me to this day that they did in that film is when they talk about him not looking away and it's sort of oh he's so brave he's fearless because he doesn't look away because the you know the he talks about the the slit in the helmet and that splinters could go in and i'm like mm. i remember the first time i saw it thinking oh foreshadowing something's gonna happen there mm. and nothing comes of it the whole movie no that's true yeah yeah, I was worried because we just watched a film that was heavily centred around people getting things in, stuck in their eyes. This, this is this film, May. Um, it's a horror film. It's a horror film. It's not pleasant. It's great, but it's unpleasant. So when, when that was brought up, because it's been a while since I've seen this film, I was like, oh no, not again. Mm-hmm. But then it would have to be, 
it'd be very difficult for them to do anything happen to it in his eye and it's still to be like a child-friendly film. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but for a villain, he's not really in the film that much. He's kind of absent for a lot of the film. Mm. He's, yeah, he, he just kind of goes off to war, doesn't he? And then mm-hmm. leaves our hero Heath to kind of romance Jocelyn, who's a princess? A yeah. noble woman? Yeah, I think Some, so. some no, kind of noble woman. No idea. It's never explained what she is. Because sometimes she seems to be sort of in the church a lot. So you're like, oh, maybe she's somehow there, like linked to that. But then she can quite happily travel to Paris whenever she wants. She's always sitting up in the the royal boxes. But yeah, I don't think they thought about it much. There is also that, again, at that first tournament, one of the worst lines of the whole film is when he's asking her name and she says, like, oh, then I'm I'm a fox. Or something like that, and he just calls her a foxy lady, and I just—I oh, have to resist turning it off. <laughs> That's every not time a good that point. Line. <laughs> I'm like, no, I know this is this is as bad as it gets. It gets better. Just resist. <laughs> <laughs> you really have to look like Heath Ledger to get away with that line. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tell me your name, woman. And what would you do with my name, Sir Hunter? Call me a fox, for that is all I am to you. A fox? Oh, well, then a fox you shall be until I find your name. My foxy lady. But yeah, I mean, I wanted to talk about her, though, because, my God, the looks. Mm-hmm. Like, she had so many looks. Mm-hmm. Like every, She was like, it felt like she was doing Cher. <laughs> <laughs> you know how Cher's always got a look? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, yeah. Every scene she had a different hairstyle, like a different wig, a, an entirely different outfit. Yeah, it was like Cher mixed with Natalie Portman in the Star Wars prequels. Like, where, <laughs> where every scene she's in a, more, in a progressively more ridiculous outfit. <laughs> Weird mix. Yeah. <laughs> and also, did, did I have you notice this as well? So she's got this, like, lady-in-waiting, or slash friend, called Christiana. Mm-hmm. Did anyone notice that she had distractingly long hair? Yes, I did notice that. <laughs> She was like Rapunzel. It was like, literally, it was like a mane. It was like down to her knees. It well, was insane. All, all I know is that when they first turned up, my wife just said, well, she's better looking though. Why isn't he going after her? <laughs> well, the That's heart, a good the wants what the heart wants. Indeed, he, want, he wanted that campy nun woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought she was a nun in the first scene because she is literally wearing a wimple. Like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and then that just never comes up. And then there's another female character in the film, actually, who I the, thought was going to be a love interest, but wasn't. Yeah, the blacksmith. The blacksmith, played by uh, Laura Frazier from Breaking Bad. Who was she in Breaking Bad? Lydia. Who's Lydia? Lydia's the woman with the tea who, uh, in the last season. Yes, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah, just interesting little bit of trivia there. That's where she ended up. But mm-hmm. yeah, so she plays a... He can't afford to use a male blacksmith. Heath Ledger has no money. So he needs to get someone to make him some armour for free. And she... And makes es- a- essentially says... Oh, they said you couldn't do it. Yeah. But not because you're a woman. Yeah. No, no, I'm not sexist. I'm just saying that the men don't think you can do it. So mm-hmm. can you do it? And she's like, yeah, I'll do it for free. She, she, yeah, she was not a smart businesswoman. <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> Very easy to manipulate. And this uh, this is the point. I know you were going to bring this up, John. This is my favourite part of the movie because it is the best product placement I've ever seen in a movie. And by the best, I mean the most shameless. So, uh, Jason, I assume you know what I'm talking about. Is this the Nike ticks that she engraves into his arm? Yes, it is. <laughs> it's a considerable amount of the film is set to just that. And you know, we get a long close-up shot of her 
carving them into the armor. And then later on, someone says, hey, what's that on your shoulder? She was like, oh, that's my uh, mark of good tradesmanship. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, God. (laughs) I would agree. I think that is maybe my favorite piece of product placement in any film ever. Yeah, same. same. If you're going to do it, at least do it creatively and make it funny and be that shameless (laughs) about it. I wish they'd done it like on the like on his shoes or something. Yeah, if he just was randomly wearing trainers. Like. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, product placement so was good, fantastic, and that was really all she was there for. Yeah, I mean, she's there for the whole film, but she just kind of gives him armor and then. Yeah, because like she she essentially joins in their their crew, doesn't yeah. she? But she's not really doing anything. It's it's like she's added to the crew, but then just is ignored. Well, she she teaches him how to dance. Oh well, yeah, does, I suppose. Yeah. I thought they were setting her up to be Mark Addy's love interest. Mm. And then they didn't really go that way. With yeah, her. I thought that's where they were going. Yeah. Now, despite this film being much longer than it should have been, mm-hmm. it does feel like there's a lot missing from it. Yeah. How do you mean? Well, there's that. It feels like there could have been a cut scene where her and Mark Addy have just like a romantic look or something. I don't know. Sure, yeah. Um, or maybe, you know, just go fully for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there were a few other bits where uh, I felt like there could have been more. Like, like you said, with the bad guy not being in the whole middle two hours of the movie yeah uh, <laughs> it is long for such a fluffy film without much kind of because the plot's pretty thin you know there's not much to it it's pretty straightforward but yeah it goes, it's like two and a half hours long it's crazy mm. I guess they just needed all those jousting scenes yeah I guess but I did like in terms of the love interests uh, there's a scene where he realises he's, he's in love with um, Baby Share, which is how I'm going to refer to her from now on and they all kind of get together to help him write a love letter to her mm-hmm. and it just, it just kind of turns into this weird kind of group therapy yeah <laughs> Where they're all just kind of like, um, oh, I lost my heart to, you know, because it turns out they've all had their hearts broken and the female blacksmith is a widow, even though she looks like she's about 22, but I guess mm-hmm. she would have got married at like 13. Yeah. That was the time, I don't know. But yeah, and that's when I thought Harry Mark had because he's like, I've got a broken heart. She's, you know, widowed. It's like something would happen here. And then, mm-hmm. nope. I don't know who Alan Tudyk was, you know, what was into. But, uh, maybe him and Paul Bettany will get together. Oh, yeah. yeah see they seem to have uh, have a very physical relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And two, and twirly, 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 and one, and two, and you're still getting it wrong. And one, and two, and three, and four, you can hit me all day, because you punch like a what? A girl. That's enough of that! Get back from me! I'm doing this for you! But yeah, there's not really a whole lot of hurdles, because she, Baby Cher, and him are both instantly really attracted to each other. Mm. And they're both pretty consistent about that. Like, she makes it pretty clear very early on that she likes him. There's not really a lot, whole lot standing in the way. The villain is off fighting around Europe, so he's, he's not really there to get in the way for a lot of the film. So the only real thing that, that kind of complicates the matters is that he's kind of a dick to her. Mm-hmm. He's, like, really arrogant and really patronising to her, and then she gets really mad. But I actually really like, for lack of a better word, the love story in this, because I, I think it's a lot more... I don't want to say realistic, but yeah, the only thing standing between them is each other. So she will ask him to do things for her that make no sense. And it's just a a gesture and he doesn't get it, but he does it, but he doesn't get it and he doesn't agree with it. And like, especially that when she tells him to lose and then tells him to win and he's just like, I hate you. I just, (laughs) he's absolutely just like, for fuck's sake. That's when he should have just given up and slept with a lady in waiting instead. Yeah. <laughs> when she's talking about a flower, and he's like, you know, a flower is useless. It can't keep you warm. You can't eat it. What do you, what do you want a flower for? You're just a silly little girl. I think that's brilliant. I just love the way they, yeah, they're going to end up together, but 
I mean, that's what a relationship is, really, isn't it? Just a series of those conversations. Just horrible mind games. <laughs> so then they go back to England for the... Um, well, he does, he, he does agree to lose the match, doesn't he? And then she changes the mind. She's like, oh, no, you can win now. And he's like, oh, for God's yeah. sake. Yeah. But I, I actually did quite like that as well, because I, I like her reasoning. Because we see it actually at the start of the film as well, that everyone is like, I will win this for you, and I will win... But really... They're winning it for themselves and then saying, oh, and that was for you. And actually to lose would be more of a, of a gesture than to win. Jocelyn, how may I prove my love to you? How? Do you ask in earnest? Yes. If you would prove your love, you should do your worst. My worst? What do you mean? Instead of winning to honor me with your high reputation, I want you to act against your normal character and do badly. Do badly? Lose. No, losing proves nothing, except that I'm a loser. Wrong. Losing is a much keener test of your love. Oh. Losing would contradict your self-love, My... and losing would show your obedience to your lover and not to yourself. Really? What is your answer? I will not lose. Then you do not love me. They end up going back to England because they qualify for the World Jousting Championships. I, yeah, I guess. Where Heath Ledger reunites with his long-lost father, mm-hmm. who is now blind, mm-hmm. in a very emotional scene. It was really emotional, wasn't it? It became like a whole different film for five yeah, minutes. Like, I, I shed a little tear. Yeah, same. Really, yeah. <laughs> what did you think of that bit, Jason? So clearly I'm not, I'm not a very caring person obviously no i thought it was it is a nice scene and it's interesting the way he approaches it in that initially he he kind of doesn't reveal who he is but despite being blind the father kind of twigs and realizes it's him i it's it is a nice scene it's also though another it, it might come up in the drinking games but he's very bad at keeping his secret <laughs> <laughs> you know people make fun of batman and say like how can people not know that he's the same person but this guy it's like little girl in the middle of the street can you keep a secret i don't know her it's <laughs> a good point very true yeah well yeah because the father plot line that if anything could have been cut to shave like 15 minutes off this film it probably would have been that mm, but, but I mean, it's, it's what gave the film a bit of emotional it, yeah it gave the film a bit of heart and soul yeah but it and also it's really only there so that because it as it turns out the evil count is um lurking in the shadows the whole time mm-hmm. like, so he knows everything mm-hmm. even though they're having a conversation upstairs in, in, the, in, the, in a rain in a house in a rainstorm yeah and he's just like hiding in an alley like <laughs> what kind of hearing does that guy have like, like excellent hearing yeah he's clearly some kind of x-man or something I don't know. Mm. <laughs> but yeah so he finds out and he kind of unmasks Heath ledger who he's not of noble birth so he's, he's been jousting illegally so he's banned from the joust and he's thrown in stocks basically but fortunately he gets saved by the prince which is a nice little bit of tying up mm-hmm. the plot line so basically what's the actor called i've seen him in loads of things is it James Prufroy? You're asking the wrong person. He was in Rome. He was he played uh, Mark Antony in Rome. Anyway, that guy. It is. I've got IMDb up here. Yeah. James Prufroy, is it? Yeah. Okay, cool. Him. So earlier on in the film, I think you mentioned, he's jousting in an earlier tournament, and he's kind of incognito, but everyone knows who he is. Another character who's very bad at keeping his secrets. Everyone's like, it's the prince, it's the prince. Yeah. And you must lose because you can't you know, beat the prince. Mm-hmm. But he decides, to, Heath Ledger decides he's not going to give the prince any special treatment, so he does actually almost defeats him mm-hmm. and then the prince takes him to one side quietly before the final match 
the final round, the final run, whatever, and says, I've never been defeated. Please spare me my honor or something. And so Heath Ledger does. He mm-hmm. forfeits and the prince remembers this. And then so at the end of the film, when Heath Ledger is thrown in stocks, the prince comes back, does a very dramatic reveal, like just yeah. flinging his cape off very campily, grandly, <laughs> like a pantomime villain or something. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> and then comes up with this ridiculously phony story about, um, aha, I have discovered some evidence that you are of noble birth from a very obscure family mm. and nobody's buying it. <laughs> yeah. And I like, again, I really liked all the extras here. Like, because th- at this point, Heath Ledger's being like, he's in the stocks and he's basically being pelted with fruit and like, there's this whole riot going on around mm-hmm. him. And everyone's like, totally turned on him. They're so <laughs> fickle. It's another thing I love in films when a crowd just suddenly has lots of rotten vegetables with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> For no reason at all. <laughs> well, you say no reason. Do you think they would have turned on him? Because you said before, he comes back, they all love him. Yeah, yeah they do. He's not English. He's not one of them, but he's amazing at jousting. We all love him. Mm. Then you find out, actually, he's one of us. He's from the same streets we are, but he cheated the system Mm -hmm. and he managed to do all of this. Those people would love him even more than before. Yeah, that's true. They don't seem to, though. They seem to really have turned on him. They seem and, very, and very Until the moment he gets knighted and then they, they're partying yeah. in the streets. Yeah. But yes, they're not buying it at all. But then he's like, I am the prince, so nobody's allowed to question this. Mm-hmm. And I really liked how they like, really went into the whole thing of him. He's just literally making it up as he goes along. Mm-hmm. And it was quite, I found it quite funny. Release him. He may appear to be of humble origins. But my personal historians have discovered that he is descendant from an ancient royal line. This is my word. And as such is beyond contestation. And so that means that he is, now he's a knight, he can rejoin the joust just in time to have a final joust for the championship, I guess, Mm -hmm. with the Count. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we also find out at this point that the Count has bought Jocelyn her hand in marriage from her father yeah I guess which they don't really address after no that. they don't it's just to make him that little bit more villainous yeah give a few more stakes and to and I'll take your woman yeah <laughs> she doesn't get a say in this yeah <laughs> which might well be true you know of the time but still uh, but yeah we really need to talk about this final joust scene though because mm-hmm. there was a lot going on in this but yeah so he's jousting against the count and the count is using a an illegal tip so the end of his jousting thing, they're blunted, aren't they? Because not, it's not supposed to be fatal. Yeah. But he's got one that shatters easily and underneath it there is a basically a spike, a spear. Mm-hmm. So just, I, like, just, I like how he showed that to us by just getting one and just crushing it in his yeah. hand for nobody other than us. Yeah, yeah. The, the woman who's, who made it for him should have been like, oh, I've got to make another one now. Great, yeah, to be ages. Yeah. <laughs> only made three. <laughs> but yeah, so he does that and he, he uses the illegal spear to injure Heath Ledger very, very badly. The first two rounds, he punches him, he gets mm-hmm. under the armour and presumably, like, stabs him pretty hard. Yeah, in the in shoulder. Pain. I did like how, like, they realised that was the situation mm. and then Mark Hardy's like, get the surgeon! And then Heath Ledger's like, but you are the surgeon. And he's like, oh yeah. And then he just yanks it out. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, great surgery there. Well done. And then they just carry on. Yeah. Yeah, but at this point, the crowd are losing their shits. Mm. Did you notice the extras in this scene? There's one woman in the crowd who is literally just screaming. Okay, it's just an extra in the whole crowd, but I really noticed it. If you watch it back, there's one extra here who is just having the absolute time of her life. Yeah. She is practically pulling her hair out. She's so intense about it all. It's yeah. great. But yeah, he's so, he's so badly injured that he can't, for the final 
run. He can't even lift up his lance. Mm. He's in so much pain. So he has to have it uh, strapped onto his arm and then kind of propped up. So he's literally just just a dummy, basically. Mm-hmm. And yet, the power of love. Oh, his girlfriend turns up. Princess Jocelyn turns up at the last minute. Just, with his dad. Yeah, with his dad, yeah. Who can't say anything, but... No. So he sees her and the, the power of love gives him the strength and he charges up. So, so this, this is the point where his armour is just the worst. So, like, it's it's let a drought through. Yeah. And so he's been stabbed. And also, he can't breathe. He says it multiple times in the film, I can't breathe. Like, yeah. the arm is too tight. Yeah. And, you know, it's the thin metal that apparently won't ever break or anything. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so it does. So he just takes it off. And at that point, I'm thinking, right, he's really just giving us all for it. Like, he will die if yeah. the other guy were to score one point. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Not a good uh, endorsement for Nike. <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, yeah, and before the final run, they do this amazing close-up exchange. Mm. Like, you write in on the eyes. It's mm-hmm. like they're both glowering at each other. Like, it's like very dramatic close-ups. Yeah. And then he, they charge forward, and he, he gets all the power of love and the strength, and he just shouts out his own name. He's yeah. like, William! For a very long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so he does it, and he manages to hit the count so hard with his presumably broken shoulder or something. Mm, like, he must. Uh, well, he, he was stabbed at the time, so I don't think his shoulder was broken, but it would be afterwards, I think. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm absolutely certain that he is... He's not going to joust ever again. No, no, no. And again, because he, he basically knocks the count off his horse, so he hits him really hard, full on. Mm-hmm. All I wanted was for the shot to carry on for a few more seconds as he fled your road past, for him to just go... Ah! So just like just to feel the pain, like, <laughs> ow! Yeah. But no, he is apparently absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. All the previous injuries just magically go away because then he like jumps up nimbly over the fence as he runs over to the Princess Jocelyn, mm-hmm. and they have a big old film-ending kiss and mm-hmm. everything. But I've had a broken shoulder; like he would be in agony, mm-hmm. absolute agony. So this is quite nice to hear because I, as well, I saw him get off the horse and he basically puts both hands on the saddle and like pushes himself up. <laughs> yeah, that's true. To get off, and at that moment, I thought. A minute ago, you couldn't hold anything, and now you're putting your whole body weight. And I thought to myself, oh, you're just being so judgmental now. You're so picky. You're just looking for the smallest. So to hear somebody else, oh, I feel justified now. Nice. I mean, th- there's a lot to pick about this movie. No, I- I'm pretty sure that's the only scene. The one uh, the one slight, yeah. That's probably the stretch only one. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I can pick at this film all I, li- all I want. It's still a really good, fun, enjoyable yeah. film. Exactly. There's something to be said for a film that just knows exactly what it is and just it's just very good natured about everything. So you mm-hmm. don't care. You don't you absolutely do not care about right. any of the well I certainly do. As much as I've picked up on them, I don't think any of them take away from the film. I mean if anything they make it funnier for me. Like they make yeah. it more enjoyable because I love stuff like that. I love when films just like don't get too bogged down in, in mm-hmm. the real world. But yeah, that's kinda of the end of the film. And it's kinda of happily ever after. Although she's still engaged to that counts. I guess. Yeah. I don't see how him winning the match means that he's going to now be able to... Maybe her dad's not alright with it anymore. No, yeah. Uh, but yeah, and it's Happily Ever After, and it just ends, it ends with Geoffrey Chaucer just saying, you know what, I should write this down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I felt like that actually should have all just like laughed and then it should have been like a freeze frame ending. Like, mm-hmm. It felt like such a sitcom-y beat to end on. Mm-hmm, it? it did, yeah. yeah. And yeah, that's the film, really. Yeah. I loved it. Um, did either, either of you two stay for the post credit scene? No, there was a post-credit scene. There's a post-credit scene. Oh Dra- my god, J- Jason, did you see it? No, but if you tell me what it is, I I feel like I might have seen it when I saw it in the cinema, but I'm pretty sure I didn't see it on on rewatching it now. See that Robbie okay, Williams so, song, that Robbie so, Williams song just chased me away. Yeah, I've, 
was trying to see if they're going to do anything else after Robbie Williams' song, sure. but uh, no. And so, yeah, their, their scene is they're all at the pub. Apart from Heath Ledger, it's a it's a farting competition. <laughs> what? Yeah, and so yeah, Mark Addy and oh, I've forgotten his name. Alan Sudduck. Uh, no, I remembered his name. The other guy, uh, the naked guy, Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany. Um, yes, yeah, so him and Paul Bettany and uh, the the blacksmith as well. Oh, okay. Um, they all do like these really loud, long, disgusting farts, and then it comes to Alan Tudyk and. He, he tries really hard and he just lets out a little squealer mm-hmm. and then they all laugh and say, hey, it's your round. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> that is fantastic. It is it's quite funny and it's it's good as a post-credit scene goes. <laughs> so, oh, I'm so sad. I'm so annoyed at Netflix because they minimise the credits. Just, just about passable farting humour. Sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's not only your bag, is it? But, no. Okay. No, no, I did not know about that. That's, I don't think both times I saw this film I must have probably left before that happened. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. I love films with random post-credit scenes. Yeah. Should we get to some drinking games, maybe? Yeah, sure. Harry, do you want to go first? Okay, so I've said drink once when a joust hits someone's body. Oh, okay. Twice for a hit to the head and three times for if they fall off the horse. You'd be hammered. That's the exact scoring of the... Oh, really? Oh, cool. Very good. Jason, have you got any? Oh, well, on the back of that one, then, I would have said drink every time they explain how the scoring in jousting works. Okay, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What I've mentioned a few times already, but drink whenever an extra or one scene character seizes the moment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just, Just goes, just really does something. There's a character... I can't even remember what he does. There's a character towards the end of the film who just literally he's one line of dialogue and it's something like, it's something like you have a message. It's something really banal, but he says it in the weirdest way. I'll have to pull a clip and demonstrate this. I'm here to compete. You are here to be arrested. And then also the guy who played Mace Tyrrell in Game of Thrones, he plays a bishop early in the film and he is really... At 11. Mm. Like, he's chewing all the scenery. Yeah. It's like, get out of this church, the house of God! It's, <laughs> he's just going for it. So. You desecrate the house of God! Oh. Cool, anymore? Um, yeah, so drink for wigs. Drink for wigs, slash, yeah. Slash fake beards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, any any kind of hairstyle change, I would say, from scene to scene. Yeah. Just wherever you have a drink, yeah. Mm-hmm. Drink every time what threatens to beat or fong someone. What is fonging? A fong is a strip of leather. So it's basically to whip somebody. Oh, never heard that expression okay, before. Okay, sure. It sounded threatening. Mm. I mean, his character seemed very tightly wound. Mm, <laughs> he yes. was working through some issues. Like, yeah. <laughs> real rageaholic there, mm-hmm. like... Uh, betray us and I will fong you until your insides are out your outsides are in your entrails will become your extrails I will wreak all the pain lots of pain drink for the soundtrack drink for this oh yeah drink for modern Mm. pop rock song pretty much yeah. yeah 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 Yeah, I really like this scene when they all sing We Will Rock You and the horn players are... They're doing the guitar. They're doing the guitar, which yeah. makes no sense whatsoever. No, but... it doesn't, but it was great. Yeah. <laughs> it 
kind of made me wonder is, is the music we're hearing what they're hearing or is it just that I, I guess okay, yeah. it's not, I don't think it's anything the film really wants you to think about but, no. yeah. so my only other drinking games were drink every time William ignores everyone's advice because that should be every five minutes or drink every time they call him Will or William in front of people <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a good one, yeah. <laughs> Drink for low-cut tops. Drink for low-cut, yeah. <laughs> Not notice, though, everybody was wearing something that was pretty much down to their belly button. Yeah. Oh, it's like those, those the, that style of shirt, though, isn't it? Those mm. ones that, uh, yeah, show a nice bit of man cleavage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I did said, drink every time Paul Bettany screams. Because mm-hmm. I really thought he was going to burst a blood vessel at some point. <laughs> he was very, very vocal in this film. Mm, yeah. I was worried for him. Yeah. Or, and finally, drink for dramatic facial close-ups. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. Always a good one. Yeah. Always a good one. Yeah. Cool. Well, if that's that, then I guess we talk about Patreon. We do. We take a moment to talk about a Patreon. So, we're on patreon.com slash set. And if you would like to support the show, then you can donate as much or as little as you want. And for that, you get a few bonus things, including a bonus review show called Beyond Beyond the Boxer, where we review films that are in cinema right now. We will also invite you as a Patreon supporter to come on the show every now and then and pick a film or if you don't want to come on the show just pick a film and we'll do it anyway yeah also each month we do a 30 second ad slot for something could be anything you want could be your own podcast could be a business you run could be just something around the house but i'm not going to do a little advert jason you're going to do a bit of an advert well i also have a podcast it's called a conversation with one of the times that conversation was with harry and we spoke about scrubs Mm -hmm. uh, the tv show not clothing (laughs) <laughs> and yeah, and each week have a different guest from quite often a different part of the world. They bring a topic. We have a chat about it. I try not to offend them because it's usually something they're quite passionate about and um, try to pretend that I know something about it. Not nearly as professional as this one. And uh, the intro music is nowhere near as good. But um, yeah, enjoyable nonetheless. So what um, other than Scrubs, what other topics have you covered? So far, we've had things like uh, Gin. Marvel Comics, um, The Democracy Sausage. That was an interesting one. What's, what's um, that? And if you want to know what that is, you have to listen. Is that what Jeremy Corbyn calls his wank? <laughs> oh, John, sorry. Living Abroad, I think, was the first one because it was kind of the whole the whole concept was conceived on that I teach English to people as a second language. So it was just to basically have a catalogue of conversations on different topics. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's cool. And where can people find A Conversation With? They can find it at a conversationwithpod.com or on iTunes, Spotify. I'm on uh, on Twitter and Instagram at ACWpod. So that's probably the easiest way to find everything. Sure thing. Okay, so that's the kind of uh, advertising calibre you can get here on Beyond the Box. That was actually a good one. That was good, yeah. Yeah, no, normally I kind of just sort of trail off and I can't talk about grapes for two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so all that and more on patreon.com slash beyond the box set. Brilliant. Let's see, Alex. Uh, what do you think of Jaws, which is at 97% Rotten Tomatoes? I find it to be anti-shark propaganda. What do you feel about the Entourage movie, which is at a meager 33%? I think they finally got Hollywood right. How about It Follows, 97%. Worse than your parents giving you the sex is evil talk. How do you feel about Juno, which is at 94%? That would be a movie that celebrates a teenage homewrecker. Uh, How about Bewitched at 25%? Best television adaptation ever put to film. How do you feel about American Hustle at a towering 93%? Overwrought awards bait. Righteous Kill, 19%. 
The movie that Michael Mann wishes he had made when he created Heat. Sounds about right. I'm Julio. I'm Alex, and we are the Contrarians. As you can tell, our thing is that we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. Regardless of what we really feel. Find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn. Facebook, Twitter, we're everywhere. Right, should we get some sequels? We shall. Okay, so my idea is I've come with two. One of them is not that fleshed out, the first one. So maybe we can see what we can do. The second one is pretty well done, I think. So, the first one, we're going to start outside a house, and from inside we can hear a lot of shouting. Okay, by the way, I forgot about a flashback in the film, where you actually see some of him and his dad's interactions. Okay. So, just ignore that. Okay, yeah. I mean, this film played pretty fast and loose with, you know... Yeah. The plot anyway, so. Um, so yeah, the door opens and a young boy with long blonde hair runs out, slamming the door behind him. He's carrying a knapsack over his shoulder and runs, just runs away. Um, so this is him running away from home. Okay. Heath Ledger's character yes. as, a, as a young boy running away yes. from home. Okay. And then a title comes up on screen, A Peasant's Tale. <laughs> okay. So I've really not got that much on that, but this is essentially just going to be the story of him running away, making two friends, which are uh, obviously Mark Addy and... Uh, Alan Tudyk. Okay. Young versions of. And uh, yes, this is going to be them just living independently of parents or anything in Mm -hmm. this medieval world and we get to explore the world a little bit more. They're getting some shenanigans and uh, yeah, stuff like that happens. Okay. This film will then finish with the three of them deciding to become squires. So they probably, they go to jousting tournaments at some point and they, they really like it there amazed by it and they're like wow we should we should do this mm-hmm. how can we do this none of us are knights and so yeah then they decide to become squires okay which leads on to my second film okay which is a squire's tale oh i see so you were sort of creating a, like a cinematic universe here well kind of i'm just essentially just turning it into a trilogy sure of which the last one came first yeah oh cool okay so this one's going to pick up a while after a peasant's tale like i don't know maybe it's a few years or something they're all a bit older they're pretty much the same age as they are in Night's Tale. Okay, so who are we casting? See, I really don't know. If I were to have done a sequel, the best casting I can think of for Heath Ledger, which I think is actually dead on, is Chris Hemsworth. Sure, yeah. Because I was thinking when I was watching this, like, oh my God, he actually sounds like Chris Hemsworth. And I wasn't thinking about recasting at that point, just like his voice is the same. And his not quite English accent is the same. Sure. The age difference is the only issue. Well, the age difference and the fact that physically he's way bigger than Heath Ledger ever was. You know, like he's much more like stacked. But yeah, but like look at Tom Cruise. You can make anybody look like anything on a film. That is true. Yeah. So now they're all trying to be squires, and uh, to do so they need to try and find knights that they can squire for. Okay. So they go to the jousting competitions in search of a knight um, who can employ them. Obviously, they want to get a knight who's better at competitions because you know the more they win, the more they get paid. Mm-hmm. So they're watching jousting and they see some really good knights, go to them after the games and try and find a knight who's looking for some new squires. But unfortunately, all the good knights, they're perfectly happy with their current squires. Okay. So there's no one really looking, apart from one person, a knight of the name Sir Hector. Okay. Was Um, that his name in the film? Yes, apparently it was. Okay. I was going to say Sir Sir Hector of some town or something. Sure. So this knight, he's going to be quite bad. He's going to be a little bit comical. He's common. Okay. Like, you wouldn't expect him to be a knight, but somehow he is. So I was thinking, like, Sir Hector of Scunthorpe sure. or something. Sir Hector of Schladerlois. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, just some place that no one's really heard of that's sure, a bit run yeah. down. Yeah. <laughs> For this, I was thinking of casting Jimmy Simpson. Oh, okay. That's interesting. For reasons yeah. that will become clear later. What, have you also cast him? No, no, no. My, my sequel may have 
some connection to Jimmy Simpson as well. Okay, cool. We haven't had the same idea though, don't worry. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I thought that he's a bit fun on screen. Yeah? He can do well. So, yeah, he's not the best knight. He doesn't talk posh. He's not that rich. He loses every joust he plays. Like, he's really bad at jousting. So they reluctantly agree to work with him because they've not got a better option. Mm -hmm. Which means training montage. Great. Yeah, so he starts to get good over the course of some time. I don't know. Weeks, months. Years? Mm-hmm. Maybe enough times so that Chris Hemsworth looks about the right age. Sure, okay. Uh, yeah, and so after a while he starts winning the occasional fight. And um, at some point along this story, they make an enemy. Another man, Count Helgeland. Count Helgeland, does that mean anything? The original film was directed by Brian Helgeland. So oh, sure, okay. Just, thought, just pulling yeah, enough. Yeah. <laughs> this count is unbeaten at the end of the current tournament. They're to play each other in the final. Okay. So Hector plays and wins the first round 1-0. And then wins the second round 2-0. So all he needs to do now is just not fall off his horse for the third round and he'll win. Right. Before they do that, though, the two knights meet in the middle to have a little conversation. And uh, the Count says, I'm going to remain unbeaten. And he stabs Sir Hector in the arm with a small hidden knife. Ah. Sir Hector then recoils sharply and runs out of the stadium, getting weaker and weaker. And he wanders up to a tree, slumps down behind it, and uh, he dies there. Uh, oh, I see. So it all literally leads up to the exact moment. And yeah, that's that's the end of the film right there. And then A Knight's Tale picks up exactly there. Okay, that's clever. I like it. Who's going to play the evil count? Oh, I hadn't cast anybody. Yeah. Uh, who's a good bad guy? Who is a good bad guy? See, this guy could be any age, because he's be... not really in the in the main film. Sure, 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 yeah. I was thinking someone like Jared Leto. Okay, not yeah. too much, yeah. yeah. It's only a small role, so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not, not opposed passable, to casting him. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah I, Someone I, I, slimy like that. How's he going to method act for a, for a jousting tournament? Oh, he'll find out. Oh, God. Just going to be riding around the set all the time. Yeah, that would uh, that'd be, that'd be scary. I would not like to see him riding on, riding on a horse towards me. No. If, if we are casting him, he needs to have a, a good uh, twirly moustache. Yes, yes, yes. Because that's one thing that was missing from this film. Mm, yeah, did need some good moustache twirling. So that was A Peasant's Tale and A Jousting Tale. Oh, very Two good. Two prequels. Okay. I like it. My only thing is, I think the knight should stay crap. I don't think he should mm. get better. Well, he needs to get to the final. Oh, I guess he does, and doesn't he? be about to win the final. No, that you're right, you're right, yeah, he should. I was just thinking, because it, it reminds me a little bit of that plotline on Friends, when Monica starts dating John Favreau. Oh, yeah. And he wants to be a boxer, but he's terrible, but because he's rich, he gets to keep trying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was thinking, that'd be funny if they just ended up stuck with this terrible, terrible knight. Yeah, that'd be good. But you're right, he does get to the final, so it doesn't make sense. But, yeah. yeah. Okay, no, I think, I think that's interesting. And I think if they were to make it at the time... That would have been a good route to go down, actually. So, mm. yeah. Any questions, Jason? No, I mean, it, it sounds like you've clearly not written it today. No. You've <laughs> definitely given it a lot of thought. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> he definitely didn't turn up an hour before he started. The only thing I would like is maybe that the knight kills him in some way that would then explain why he has clearly started to rot within a few seconds of, of death. Well, I was thinking that maybe, I, I didn't say it, but the, the blade could be like poison-tipped or something. Sure, yeah. That's kind of why I said he was getting weaker and weaker as he was walking away. And I will allow that, yeah. Can he shit himself as he's running away? Ah, yes, may, yeah, maybe he dies and, like, there's sound effects. Yes. <laughs> so he's running through a field with just this brown stain, like, spreading oh, across God. his pants and just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> a beautiful end to the film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Okay. Uh, I guess then over to you, Jason. Okay. So I, I also have two. One is a bit more fully formed, but I, I feel like I've cheated. I've stolen one of your techniques, I'll be honest with you, but um, you'll see what I mean later. And then the second one is more of an idea that we can kind of hash out together, perhaps. 
So the first one, obviously, I, I would set it, you know, about 17, 18 years later, as we are now, so that we can use the same cast. So we're going to follow uh, Jeffrey uh, Chaucer, so Paul Bettany. He's returned to his gambling ways, and he's lost everything, and he's on the run from some debtors. So he forges some papers, and he gets onto the, the ferry back to England uh, with these forgeries, pretending that he works on the boat. And he just stays there for a while, going back and forth between maybe England and France, just sort of lying low, collecting a little bit of money. So the debt collectors, unable to find him, but aware of his background, you know, in, in forgery and in what he's done for, for William, they dispatch an expert to track him down. And I was thinking Carrie Elwes for this. Ah, okay. I think he can play, you know, suave, old-timey. He was Robin Hood. He was uh, the Dread Pirate Roberts. I think he'd he'd fit the role well. And he's of the right age now, I think. You don't see him much these days, do you? No, only in interviews about the Princess Bride. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All all he does. So once uh, Jeff feels him closing in, he runs again. And this time he hides out in a hospital. Uh, once again, forging papers so that he can stay there, uh, this time maybe as a surgeon. Uh, and he meets a nurse who, now, I would say is played by maybe Kirsten Dunst, because I think they had quite nice chemistry in Wimbledon, if you ever saw that movie. I did not know, but okay. And because she still looks like relatively young, but not, see, I would put maybe like uh, Elizabeth Olsen in, that he's, you know doing scenes within uh, in Avengers at the moment. But I think that would seem creepy that he's kind of pretending to be somebody else and she's a lot younger than him. So you need somebody who's still young, but not, you know, stalker young. It's not going to look creepy that this guy is pretending to be somebody else and having a relationship with this person. So that that's who I'm casting, Kirsten Dunst. I've not seen her in anything for a long time, so I don't know if she's any good anymore, but or if she ever was. But I liked her in Wimbledon. I liked her in Spider-Man. Yeah? The first two Spider-Man films. Uh, I I think she's in Fargo now, isn't she? Or she was. Isn't she? Yeah, Yeah. she's still working. Yeah, okay. So they obviously fall in love. They want to get married. So uh, they return to her home and they meet her father, who, as it's again, you know, an English movie, we're setting it in England. I'm going to say Michael Caine. I think the ages don't match up perfectly, but makeup, special effects, we can do many things. So they meet Michael Caine, her father, who happens to be a lawyer. So uh, Jeff once again forges his papers, and this time he's pretending to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Okay. But Carrie Elwes uh, arrives at the ag- engagement. I'm going to say ball because you know, again, old timey. So it's probably a big engagement banquet. Maybe that will work. So Paul Bettany confesses to uh, Kirsten Dunst who he is, what he's done. Runs away, agrees to meet her a few days later, and they meet at this place. And he can see that it's it's a trap that um, Carol's is waiting for him, so he, he abandons her and he flees. Now, is this sounding familiar at this point? A little bit. A little uh, bit, okay. I've not put two and two together just yet. <laughs> You've not put two and two together, because I hadn't really finished my ending, because I thought by now you might have guessed what it was. But um, basically, we'll, we'll kind of jump ahead six months later. Finally, he's tracked him down. He catches him. He's going to put him in the stocks i suppose or in the dungeon or whatever Mm -hmm. but they end up working together i'm actually going to call this catch if me if the can 
<laughs> Very good. You got us. I've not actually seen Catch Me If You Can. Have you not? No, that's probably why I didn't pick up on it. But... Yeah. You've not seen it? I no. have. It's a good one. I've not seen it for a while, though. I was struggling to think who is an English Tom Hanks. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. My other idea that is a bit more my own and not just stealing another movie is we, again, jump ahead to, you know, 16, 17, 18 years into the future. William Thatcher is doing very well for himself now. Mm-hmm. So well, in fact, that he's gotten quite fat and almost unrecognisable from the man <laughs> he once was. Okay. So we can we can recast that however you like. We just need somebody at this point. Okay, I don't know the guy's name, but uh, you might know him as Meth Damon. Oh, yeah, Jesse Plemons. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. He's not that fat. He can be. He can be. He's, he's getting fatter. Oh, okay, sure. Given time, he can fatten himself up. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. For the role of Heath Ledger replacement in A Knight's Tale 2. Yeah. yeah. So then arrives the real Ulrich von Lichtenstein. Oh, okay. Who is basically uh, pursuing him on the basis of everything he has now. So all the wealth he's acquired, all the fame and glory all comes from the fact that he started impersonating him. Mm-hmm. And so basically it's uh, identity theft. And then it's going to turn into a gritty legal drama <laughs> uh, with Paul Bettany taking the role of the lawyer. Mm-hmm. I don't know who he's going to go up against. I want another... Basically, I want a lot of ye old courtroomy scenes between Paul Bettany and somebody else, but I don't know who. An oldie-worldy lawyer. Hmm. Matthew Perry. Matthew Perry? Yeah. That would be inherently be comical. Yes, right? it would. <laughs> Are you going for a, some vague, vague comedy here? Well, I mean, I, I don't really mind at this point. It, it doesn't need to take a dark turn. The last one was quite light, so it, it can be... I, I think you want to keep it quite fun because that was the, the charm of Paul Bettany in this. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you just want him kind of talking the jury round in, in circles mm-hmm. with his... Uh, it's very eloquent speech. Okay, yeah, let's let's put Paul Bettany against Chandler Bing. I think Paul Bettany, the character he plays in this film as a lawyer, would be great. Mm-hmm. In fact, just Paul Bettany playing a lawyer. Yeah. But in in this kind of film, I'm trying to think of other Paul Bettany things where he's this much fun. Like he's so much fun in this movie. Mm. No, he's not really fun most of the time. I mean, I guess he's kind of chewing the scenery a bit in Han Solo, but not loads. Like, mm. yeah, I, I kind of associate him with well, not a lot really, but kind of just playing kind of stock characters. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was really nice to see him just really going off on one of this and really just mm. being zany and, you know, throwing himself into it. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that'd be good. Now, with it being a courtroom scene, is it going to end with a dramatic kind of, you know, the jury finds innocent or guilty and there'll be huge cheers? And, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I, I think it will just end with the the jury finds and then we'll fade to black and it will, right, will be continued in A Knight's Tale 3. Oh, oh mean and, and then the studio goes bankrupt and we never get it but you know it'll be kind of a choose your own adventure at the end keep them hanging on for more cool did you have a title for that one i didn't no um a knight's tale 2 there you go i don't know if there's any pun on any kind of uh courtroom or judgment or lawsuit or anything like that that you could ye olde up but i mean that's that's really more for marketing to, to worry about <laughs> I don't want to have the, the real name because you know people get online they'll find all the leaks I don't want to spoil all the surprises so we'll probably be using a fake name for most of the filming and then 
at the end we'll come up with something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> cool. cool. Okay. Right. John, I think it's uh, you now. Me. Now, I have also done two ideas this week. One oh, small. We've all had the same thought process. Oh one smaller and one that's a bit more fleshed out. Mm-hmm. Although they're both kind of a bit smaller this week. Sorry. Um, so the first one, it's going to be a direct sequel. Mm-hmm. And it's going to open with Heath Ledger dead. So again, we'll just have to get some corpse in a suit. It's going to be very much the same opening as the first one. They'll CGI Heath Ledger's face into a yeah. suit of armour. Okay. He's lying by a tree. Mm-hmm. He's discovered by somebody. I haven't really thought about the reasons why. He's, I guess he's had an accident. He's got a bit older. He's still jousting. You know, he's mm-hmm. still taking stupid risks. Yeah. Maybe he finally did get a lance splinter right between the eyes. <laughs> as this film kind of threatened, but never really followed up on. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the point is, he did. I would have actually liked for him to just maybe have a lance strapped to his arm yes and he yep. tried the same trick again yeah maybe there's a lance strapped to his arm but his arm is not attached to him yeah his arm's like on the other side of the field yeah <laughs> with a lance in it yeah. yeah or maybe this film takes place like five minutes after he succumbs to his injuries it's not it's yeah. actually a very sad ending the original film mm-hmm. but no actually i think this film takes place a few years later because because he's obviously now a knight of the realm, and in the intervening years, maybe the prince gave him some land, so he, you know, mm-hmm. he's built up some lands. He's got a castle, you know, a knight must have a castle, and he's living. He has been living the life of a wealthy, you know, landowning knight uh, until this unfortunate death. So yeah, he's found, and his wife is told, and Princess Jocelyn finds out, and she's obviously very, very sad. But once the initial shock and grieving has passed by she kind of realises that with him gone her main source of income is pretty much out the window like they need that jousting money for all their wigs you know mm-hmm. she's, she's got a high maintenance mm-hmm. lifestyle so short of marrying someone else for the money which she doesn't want to do how can she be self-sufficient in this in what is very much a man's world so she decides to set up the first ever all-female jousting tournament okay yeah I think you can probably guess what this is derived from. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is going to be called Glodge. <laughs> Glodge. <laughs> the gorgeous ladies of jousting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Because yeah. I do have to do a little mea culpa here, because a couple of episodes ago, we did briefly divert into talking about the TV series Glow, mm-hmm. which you'd finished, and I'd watched half of the first series. And I was being a total contrarian, saying, no, it's rubbish, I don't like it, it's really boring, I don't understand why everyone likes it so much, nothing is happening. Mm-hmm. And then I think the next day, I ended up binging the entire rest of the show in the space of like 24 hours. So mm-hmm. it is actually a brilliant show. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I hold my hands up. So then I thought I wanted to give it a little tribute. And that's kind of as far as I've got with that, but I was thinking, because this film does have a lot of female characters, mm-hmm. comparatively, for this kind of film, you know, you've got at least three who have significant speaking roles, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, it shouldn't be unusual, but it is, you know. You definitely have um, the blacksmith. She can definitely still be a part of it. You can have Vinnie Bejo with her insane hair. Maybe that's her thing. Because, again, it's very much like Glow. They've all got to have, like, their personalities. Yeah. So Princess Jocelyn's obviously going to be the high glamour. She's going to be, like, Liberty Bell. She's going to be, like, all crazy costumes and big hair. and Everyone's going to love her. She's going to be the hit heroine. Uh, so maybe Vinnie Bejo's character is Rapunzel. Mm-hmm. She's just got that heavy mane of hair that's just flicks in people's eyes. Well, instead of a lance, she just uses her hair. Yeah, okay. so she'll riding past, she'll just like flick them in the head and then knock <laughs> on the horse with the power of her hair. Um, the blacksmith, she's just the blacksmith. You know, she's the you know a woman working. No, she'd be like welfare queen, but the opposite. In this universe, people don't want women to have jobs. So, <laughs> yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, can the first five episodes just be them practicing? Because isn't that what you? What you took issue with in? Yeah, I just found, yeah. Well, I hope not. No, my version's going to get to the point a bit faster. Yeah, it's going to move things along a little bit faster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although, yeah, maybe she finds out that Rapunzel, crazy hair lady, slept with 
Heath Ledger. <laughs> and so they have this whole mm-hmm. rivalry then. It's like, you slay my husband. And uh, it takes them a while to get to get over it. And that gives the, the show a bit of dramatic heft. Yeah, that works. Mm. But yeah, I'm thinking of like other medieval stock characters that the women could play. Well, it could be the damsel in distress. The damsel, yeah. Who'd be a good damsel? Oh, ask me to start casting these. Sorry. Um, Who's like always playing like forgettable girlfriend roles? Who like always has to be rescued? Like Amy Adams. Yeah. She's that's basically what she's in in, in Superman. Like, yeah. I know she also does a lot of really good films, but in the Superman stuff, she is just the the girl to be saved. So. Yeah, she's that. That's Lois Lane's entire character, it seems. Yeah. So yeah, the damsel's a good one, definitely. She's mm-hmm. just constantly getting into trouble, I mean, getting carried away. By Is there people. a princess? A princess would be good, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess Jocelyn's kind of the princess, but mm-hmm. you could you could have a more like glamorous princess. Like, mm-hmm. a, I was thinking you'd have the witch. The witch, yeah, yes. Yeah. Like, burn her, burn her, burn her. Uh, crazy cat lady. Crazy cat lady, yeah. Yeah, like a fortune teller, like an old mother kind of character. Mm-hmm. You could have the wench. The wench? The wench, yeah. She'll just be wearing like low-cut tops, heavy cleavage, and just carrying flagons of ale. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She'll be very popular. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And yeah, and I guess they're going to need like a Mark Maron figure too. Or maybe Alan Tudyk can be the Mark Maron figure. He he comes back and he's he's their referee. He, or he's the coach. Yeah, that works. Because he, he also coached him, yeah. And Paul Bettany comes and he does the... He's he's going to keep being the hype man. So he can be the... The commentator. The commentator, the, yeah. the, young, the younger guy from Glow. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's Glodge basically. So okay. there's no, no plot there. I just thought that might be a good setup to expand the universe and to, you know... Give the women stuff to do, which I always enjoy when mm-hmm. there's quite male-dominated films trying to give the women a little bit more agency is always good. So. Yeah, that'd be really good. Okay. I'd enjoy that. Great. So that was Glodge. My second idea is based on another thought I had when I was watching this film, which is that because of the way all the anachronisms and the fact that it's like it's it's all very oldie-worldy, but it's also got the modern rock music and mm-hmm. everyone's got suspiciously good hair and like dazzlingly white teeth, which mm-hmm. are always distract me in these kind of films, mm-hmm. like dazzlingly white teeth. And just because of what jousting is and... It just put me a lot in mind of cosplay. Mm-hmm. It made me think, you could totally do a version of this film where if you pan out a few metres, they're actually just cosplaying. Yeah. And it's not actually happening in the real world. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So you might have already guessed, Harry, where that kind of thought process took me, mm-hmm. which is that, I don't know if you've been through all of our old episodes, Jason. I mean, you better have. But um, way back in the day, we watched a truly abysmal film. At the time, I chose it and I, I thought it was going to be like a fun, bad film because it had a really good cast. Mm. It's a film called Knights of Bad Aston, which in itself just sounds awful. Yes. And it's about LARPers, but I think their role-playing becomes real or something. Yeah, I, I feel like I've I've seen the trailer, but never <laughs> never committed to watching the, the film. Yeah, yeah, because I, I saw the trailer and I'm like, wow, that's, that's great. Like, Peter Dinklage looks like he's having great fun in that. Danny Pudi's in there. Summer Glau, a couple others. Jimmy Simpson, which is why Jimmy Simpson, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, and then they just all get killed off very quickly. Yeah, and we're just left with really boring, like, filler characters. Yeah. Terrible, terrible, terrible special effects. Yeah. Well, the horrible special effects kind of went with it. But... They did, yeah, but they didn't make it as funny as I wanted them to. But... No. Anyway, that film was terrible, but I thought the concept was good. Like, I think the idea of a cosplay movie is really good. That, mm-hmm. just, that one just, unfortunately, wasted a really good idea and a really good cast. So, mm-hmm. I was thinking, what have you kind of crossed that over? Like, that amazing cast and kind of combined it with A Knight's Tale. Mm-hmm. You could say it's a sequel to... Knights of Bad Aston, but I mean, all the good people die in Knights of Bad Aston, so in this film I'm bringing them all back, so yeah. let's say that didn't happen. But we basically, we are using a lot of the cast of Knights of Bad Aston, basically, in this kind of cosplay version of A Knight's Tale, is mm-hmm. the idea I've got. So, that's why people are always listening to rock music, that's why everyone's doing funny act- accents and kind of overacting. Because mm-hmm. the thing about when you, people who cosplay, they do 
overact because they're not really professionals. Yeah. They're not professional actors anyway. So the gang from Knights of Bellastum, so we've got Danny Pudi, i.e. Arbed from Community, mm-hmm. Peter Dinklage from Game of Thrones, Jimmy Simpson from Westworld and House of Cards. Well, they're, yeah, they're the main four. I didn't bring back the main guy from Knights of Bellastum because who cares? Mm-hmm. He was really boring mm-hmm. and I don't know who he is. He's no one famous particularly. So they all come back, this gang of like TV and movie icons, and they're at the annual jousting cosplay, which is this huge outdoor event. And they will come to compete in it. It's like the biggest jousting cosplay in America, let's say. So it's this mm-hmm, huge yeah. summer event. And maybe uh, Summer Glau is going to be there too. And she's going to write the love interest. So they come to this event and they really, really want to win. And I'm thinking there's a lot of kind of fun you could derive from jousting, but in a cosplay universe. Mm. For example, there's no way they can get the insurance to use real horses. Uh, and, you know, to be riding at those speeds. Okay, sure. It's far too dangerous. So instead, they're all just riding on very slow-moving ponies. Okay, sure. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> like old, retired ponies, just mm-hmm. very slowly cantering towards each other. Well, I was thinking maybe you could have people in horse costumes. <laughs> yeah, you could have horse costumes. Or, or hobby horses, you know, those horses' heads on sticks. Yeah, hobby yeah. Horses, yeah. Or those, uh, those costumes that people get that look like they're like riding the back of a donkey. Yes. You know, you know little blow-up costumes. <laughs> yeah, that people wear on stag do's. Yeah, yeah. Perfect, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. Mm-hmm. Also, instead of lances, they're using pillows on sticks. Pillows on sticks. Pillows on sticks. Health again, and safety. Yeah. yeah, health and safety, you know. And yeah, and I'm thinking they're going to bring back Mark Addy and Alan Tudyk because they were two of the best characters. Mm-hmm. They should be like running the event. Like maybe they won the original tournament. Okay, yeah. Yeah, maybe Mark Addy's playing like the king. It can be a nod to his Robert Baratheon kind of thing because he's, he's a bit older, obviously. Yeah. So he's going to be playing the king. And there's definitely going to be a scene where he's too fat for his armour. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. That'll be good. Uh, and yeah, actually, Alan Tudor can play like the prince role, the James Prufroy role. Yeah, so basically, I feel like Danny Pudi is going to be the... Who had, like, three lines in Knights of Badastum. So mm-hmm. I'm correcting that because he's clearly amazing and making him our lead. He, mm-hmm. He's replacing the boring, bland guy and being, like, the romantic lead in this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because in Knights of Badastum, Jason, basically, Danny Pudi from Community shows up. And you're like, oh, it's Danny Pudi. He's great. He's going to be fun. He literally has, like, two lines of dialogue and then dies. Oh, wow. It's such a waste of him. It's really, really disappointing. So in this one, he's going to fall in love with Summer Glau. Okay. And he's going to vow to win her hand by winning the tournament. So he's going to be our kind of romantic hero. Uh, and I think Peter Dinklage is going to be his friend. Peter Dinklage, who also has, like, not a lot to do in Knights of Bedastum. Just, he just wanders around kind of making strange choices, strange mm-hmm. acting choices, and then dies far too early. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's going to do the Paul Bettany, Geoffrey Chaucer thing. He's his best friend. He's going to be, like, the hype man. So he's going to be introducing him. Because I think Peter Dinklage has got a really good voice. Mm-hmm. And I think he'd be really good at, like, you know, marching up and down on the on the fence and just trash-talking all the other knights and, you know, hyping up Danny Pudi. Yeah. So I think that'd be really good. And obviously, obviously, Jimmy Simpson is playing the nefarious Count because he has to play the bad guy. He's yeah. always the bad guy. So he's also going to be trying to win Summer Glau's hand by uh, winning the tournament. And so him and Danny Pudi are going to have this rivalry through the whole film, basically. So it's going to follow much the same plot as A Knight's Tale, but in a cosplay universe it's all going to be just a lot sillier and more low budget mm-hmm. so I think maybe Danny Pudi spares Alan Tudyk who's a bit too old to be playing now but he, he tries to ride a match but he's you know he's, he's a bit older he, maybe he's got like a dodgy hip or something like he, just something that makes it fun you know he's, <laughs> he really shouldn't be riding even these slow moving ponies or whatever <laughs> he, he really shouldn't be doing this anymore okay, like, yeah. he's, he's kind of broken Yeah. so Danny Pudi takes pity on him he's, he's like I've never lost a match please let me please let me end my career with dignity while riding an old ancient pony holding a pillow on a stick. 
let me retain my dignity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Danny Pudi agrees and forfeits a match, and then Alan Tudyk is going to remember that and probably come back and help him later in some way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's going to become the champion. Mm-hmm. He's going to continue to try and woo Summerglau, who's not really going to be that interested. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which is what she's good at playing. Yeah, exactly. She's either a really bad actress or an actress who's very good at playing characters who don't care about anything. Yeah, <laughs> I've never figured it out, but she's making it work. And then obviously Jimmy Simpson's going to be trying to undermine him at every turn. Maybe he's going to find out that he... I don't know, what, what could be a good cosplay version of you're not a real knight? You know, <laughs> uh, you know you've lied on the forms. Like, maybe he filled out his application form incorrectly for the jousting. He, did, he didn't fill out his medical insurance form or something. True, Something yes. really banal like that. Right? Yeah. He didn't fill out his insurance form. He can't run the final joust. Yeah. And then everyone's like, boo, boo, boo. And for some reason, that means that Danny Pudi's in the stocks. Mm-hmm. And then Alan Tudyk is going to come in, dramatically fling off his cape, like James Prufroy does, mm-hmm. and reveal that he found the health insurance document. <laughs> he found it, it was down the side of the sofa the whole time, it was behind mm-hmm. it, you know, some cockamamie story. Yeah, yeah. Because he's, he's the boss, because him and Mark Addy basically run this show. That means that Danny Pudi can indeed play the last joust. He's going to dramatically scream his own name and um, pillow hit Jimmy Simpson, who's going to fall in extreme slow motion, mm-hmm. the very short distance to the ground off his little pony. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, but they're not going to win Summerglau because women aren't prizes to be won. So she's not going to care. Says it was all for nothing. <laughs> and maybe maybe it turns out she's the best jouster of them all. Okay. Okay, nice. And she yeah. wins the trophy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. When you started explaining it at the very beginning, I thought you were going to go in a very different direction. And I thought this was going to be like a, the village situation. Okay. That they believe they really are in that time jousting and, and doing all of this but they're actually in the modern world oh. so I'd, I'd quite like actually that maybe then they go and fight the cosplayers and they take it very seriously that could work too yeah okay so shall we get to some listener submissions mm-hmm. okay so it was a popular choice this week so we had a lot, a lot of good submissions uh, Mike Carey said A Day's Tale yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Enough, yeah. I did genuinely try and write A Day's Tale yeah. As in, write an idea for that, but I just couldn't think Nothing of anything. Nothing came of it, no. Ewan Compton said, a samurai's tale. I'd like to see that. Oh, yeah, that's, that's good. cool, yeah. Maybe they, they should have franchised it. If there wasn't enough meat on it for a sequel, mm. maybe they could have just had Heath Ledger in that whole cast, because the cast is the draw. Mm-hmm. Just had them in a bunch of different settings. So in that one, it's not nights. Nice. Another one cowboys. is samurai's. Cowboys. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Know. It's not the last samurai, just a samurai's tale. That is true, and that didn't really work. Although, if you've let you been in it. Yeah, that didn't work because <laughs> it was Tom Cruise. Yeah. Adam Capitano said, uh, this was actually one a lot of people suggested, predictably enough, a dark knight's tale. Yes, I was yeah. expecting a lot of them. Yeah. Johnny James Fuller said, a knight's sale, an aquatic joust. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I, I, I initially thought he meant sale is in, like, yard sale. A, a knight's <laughs> yard sale, even better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Peter Bonavisa did two knight, but number two. Oh, yeah, knight. yeah. There you go. Good, good, good. Bit of number work. Well done. Mike Silver, A Knight's Tale, spelt T-A-I-L. It's the same movie, except this time, for some reason, Heath Ledger has a tail. Okay. <laughs> Why not? Sure. What kind of tale are we talking? Like a rat's tail, maybe? So, like a uh, so quite a short one. He can he can talk away, but just, you know, when it comes to having sex, he's got to show it to people and it's a bit embarrassing, a bit of a turn off. Maybe, yeah. Or could it be like a longer, like a horse's tail or something? Actually, because he's got that really like floppy hair and stuff, and mm. he does look a bit like he could be a dog. Because he could have like a dog's tail that starts like wagging uncontrollably whenever he sees Jocelyn. Like. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> that'd be cool. And then it'd be really uncomfortable when he's riding a horse as well. He'd always be sitting yeah. on it. Like, he'd have to reposition himself all the time. Mm-hmm. Scott Hillman said, the Knights get sent to an international tournament. So maybe the, the British grand final is just a stepping stone to another international super league of nations kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like the Olympics of jousting. Mm-hmm. 
And so it's going to bring the cast of the original film with a bunch of like similarly wacky characters from all different countries in the world, mm-hmm. all jousting. And apparently they're going to have to defeat Iceland. Because yeah. for some reason, Iceland is a really good jousting country in this film. <laughs> Don't know why. Admit One Movies podcast, at Admit One Movies 2, said, A Knight's Tale, N-I-G-H-T, mm. in which M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> explains what the fudge she was thinking when he wrote The Happening and directed it and released it to the world. Oh, dear. <laughs> Featuring Queen songs. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. False Starts Podcast, at False Starts Pod, said, A Handmaiden's Tale. It's exactly the same as the current TV series, The Handmaid's <laughs> Tale, but with Queen songs. Nice. <laughs> Blokebusters, at Blokebusters, said, Will, the Heath Ledger character, having lived a fairly nice life after the first film, has now died. Mm. He has, in his last will and testament, decreed that his title should be given to the winner of a new tournament, mm-hmm. open only to those not of noble birth. Ah. So he's passing on the opportunity for people to Oh, like, see, that's brilliant. That is actually really, really good. That's I like this. really good. Yeah. But the son of Adamar, the evil count, joins the tournament, desperate for revenge on his father's treatment. So does he have to fake his way in? Because he's of noble birth. Yeah, yeah, it's a complete flip. Yeah, ah. so it's a noble person having to pretend to be a, a pauper. Mm-hmm. To win a competition to be a noble person. Mm-hmm. Wow, there's layers to this. Mm-hmm. So we follow Adamar's son as he rises through the ranks, beating everyone he meets on his way to the final. As he does so, he realises that he feels no joy in winning, only when he's in the midst of fighting. So he goes into the final against an unknown young boy and his annoying entourage of loud friends. And we see that they're all the sons and daughters of Will's entourage. So mm-hmm. Mark Addy's son, Alan Tudyk's son, Paul mm-hmm. Bessie's son, etc. And Will's son is the other jouster. They then get drawn into a final match and fight to a draw. And then Richard III, the king, I guess, arrives and calls a halt to the tournament, announces that he's been watching it from the beginning and is willing to offer a knighthood to everyone who fought that day. (laughs) So Adamar's son goes to accept, but then declines, knowing that he needs to earn his rightful place. So I guess maybe Adamar's son hasn't inherited his father's title. Oh, maybe, yeah. Maybe losing jousting was really high stakes for Adamar. Yeah, I guess. He lost lost the woman, he lost his lands. Mm -hmm. Maybe Will got all his lands. Mm. Yeah. That gives his son a good reason to be resentful as well. Mm, big time. Yeah. So Adamar Jr. goes up against Will Jr., whose name is Ulrich, mm-hmm. you know, because reasons, Yeah. Uh, and offers to become his squire. Ulrich agrees on the condition that they fight again every year until Adamar defeats him in a fair fight. So, yeah, I guess it ends on a hopeful note, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also it's going to be narrated by Paul Bettany as Chaucer, who's yeah, now a good good. scribe. So mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. And finally, friend of the podcast, Ross Burton. Mm-hmm who says, Sir William decides to take on some other medieval pursuits and becomes awesome at them too. We see him learning how to weave baskets, farm, plague doctor, and he becomes really good at all of them. Montages mm-hmm. abound. I like it. Yeah, yeah. very good. Well, yeah, you know I love a montage. So. Yeah, well, any, any montage-based sequel is always going to play well with us. Yeah. So, yeah, those are our sequel ideas. If you have any sequel ideas for A Knight's Tale or any films we've done in the past, please let us know. We are Beyond the Box Set. You can find us at beyondtheboxset.com. Our podcast is available on all good podcasting platforms, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Acast, Google Play, you name it, we're on it. If we're not on it, let us know and we will get on it. Uh, you can also find us on social media at Facebook and Twitter. Just search Beyond the Box Set or at Beyond the Box Set on Twitter. And our website is beyondtheboxset.com. And we also have, as Harry mentioned earlier, we're on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash beyondtheboxset. And we have merchandise at tpublic.com. Again, just search Beyond the Box Set. So, well, I was just going to say, uh, Jason, do you want to just plug your podcast one last time before I reveal what next week's film is? Yeah, can do. Probably not as well as you guys, but it's uh, A Conversation With. Uh, you can find it at conversationwithpod.com or on iTunes, Stitcher and so on. And it's very simply just uh, me and a guest having a chat about whatever topic they bring for between half an hour and an hour. Harry's been on. Maybe John will be on in the future. Who knows? But yeah, that's it, basically. It's very simple. 
requires a lot less research and preparation than this one. Hey, I watched like eight seasons of Scrubs in preparation for your show. Uh, you did that for me, did you? Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, I got the impression that you'd, you'd seen it before. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Okay, uh, cool, so... Yeah, so next week, yeah. Next week's film is one, it's one of my choices. Now, John, I, I really don't think you've seen this. Um, okay. You might not have heard of it. You might have done, though. You know, I could pick a load of various different good films. Or I could pick this film, which okay. I do not believe to be a good film. Have you seen it? No. Okay. Are we um, talking another Knights of Badaster? I hope not. Okay, taking a risk. Um, I think it'll be good. I think it'll be entertaining. You'll definitely have some things to say. Have you heard of a film called Sausage Party? Oh, is that the animated film? Yes. You know, I kind of wanted to watch that. and I never did, but I don't know why, because it didn't look like it would be my kind of thing. But mm. yeah, no, I've not seen it. I know what it is. It came out a couple of years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Sausage Party. Yeah, have you seen it, Jason? Uh, I have not seen it, no. That's on Netflix now, I have a feeling. I'm, I'm sure I've seen it oh, great. That's pop up recently in somewhere I've been. So, um, well, is this an excuse to see it? So I'll understand what you guys are talking about next week, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, do it. <laughs> well, you know, consider yourself forewarned. Or not. Mm-hmm. Okay, that should be interesting. Great. So I guess tune in next week for Sausage Party. I'm regretting it already. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, thank you very much, Jason, for joining us. It's uh, much appreciated. Oh, it's been a pleasure to be here. I was very nervous. You guys are, are too professional. It's what I thought until we tried to start recording. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the curtain's been well and truly pulled back on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I think the only professionalism that we have is John's editing. Oh, thank you. That really threw me. You never, you never compliment me. Oh, you bring the whole shit all together. <laughs> oh, well, that's staying in the show. <laughs> cool. Okay. Yeah, uh, thanks again, Jason. Yeah. And uh, thanks for having me on your, on your show as well. And that episode's out now? Uh, yeah, that'll be Anna. Yeah, that's already that's already out. I think it's episode 11, if I'm not wrong. Is it? Even though we said it was episode 10 in the recording? It's not 10, and there is no 10 mentioned in the recording. I don't know what you're talking about, Harry, because I, as a professional, would never make that mistake. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, episode 10, it's a big milestone. You may as well do it twice. Yeah. <laughs> cool, uh, okay. Cool. So, right. see you next week for Sausage Party. Yeah, bye. Bye. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye. I'm here to compete. You are here to be arrested. <laughs>